and welcome back to Beyond Our World podcast. I'm your host, John Merlino. And up here in Ontario is Paul Davidson. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Uh, recovering from a bit of food poisoning, so... Mm, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, too bad there's no uh, vaccines against that stuff, huh? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, hauled off to the hospital there and everything. It was uh, quite entertaining. I guess that's a good segue into, uh, you know, the topic that we're going to be looking at today, which is um, the anti-vaxxer movement. <laughs> Yay. Which uh, has become kind of a hot-button topic in recent months, especially with the resurgence of measles kind of spreading throughout the United States. It's also starting to trickle into other countries. Other countries, yeah. Um, England, uh, parts of Europe. Um, while doing the research for this, uh, there were lots of maps of current measles outbreaks all over the world and uh, you know over the last couple of years they've just skyrocketed and isn't that a fascinating notion you know i mean we go through this period in time where you know especially in, in the turn of the 20th century there's tons of diseases ravishing the population of earth that's already pretty ravished after you know two world wars uh Humanity as a whole is kind of at this weird junction of survival, right? We have tuberculosis taken off everywhere. We have polio. We have measles. We have all these diseases that are just poof going full force against you know humanity as a whole, and uh, so so we come up with you know immunizations to this, and it's a, kind of an interesting theory to think that here we are not even a hundred years later and we're now at a turning point where people are saying you know what Ah, fuck it i don't want vaccines i don't care if i die it wasn't that bad anyway and that's just kind of a a weird notion to me (laughs) well yeah people are going to darwin themselves out of existence if they're not uh if they're not careful here well, and see, like on that notion, I'm always down for a good Darwin Award, man. I'm totally <laughs> fine with it. I think that's a great thing. They lead to some of the best stories ever. The only problem is when your Darwin Award also starts killing my children, I might not really appreciate you being there. You know what I yeah. mean? The um, Doing a bit of research for this show, I um, was really quite surprised to find out that uh, inoculations were uh, being done in China over a thousand years ago. Yeah, 10th, BC, uh, 10th century BC was when um, oh. variolation kind of first started over there in, in, I think it was just ancient China and kind of the Song Dynasty region, wasn't it? I think so. The, um, I, I guess the more modern um, introduction of vaccines in the West was, what, the 1680s or something for um, polio? Was there, it, yeah, I think it was sixteen. Somewhere around there, anyways. There, there was some, you know, stuff going on then. It really became kind of a, a European issue around 1763. There was uh, a, an Italian doctor named Gotti that was uh, kind of playing with inoculations, but he wasn't isolating his patients right, which is in, interesting because now you have the first time in history, 1763, where you actually have the French Parliament outright banning vaccines as a result of this doctor's experimentation and lack of proper uh, isolation treatment. <laughs> Yikes. That's horrible. The um, Did uh, you run across the milkmaid story? No. What's that? Well, when um, I think this was in England, uh, when polio was um, going around, um, a doctor noticed that milkmaids did not get smallpox at all. And it turned out that um, they were immunized by cowpox, which is a, a less uh, 
far less deadly strain of uh, smallpox. And um, that's where vaccinations came in. Um, Vaca, which is, uh, forget if it's Latin or Greek for cow. So all vaccinations come from cows. Um, otherwise, it's just an inoculation, which is usually the word that uh, medical professionals prefer to use. So um, it was just this one little observation, and um, it essentially wiped out um, smallpox wherever, wherever it was used. Right, right. And by the way, Vaca, it, it is Latin, uh, not Greek. It is Latin. Thank you. Meaning from cow. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so so you know you have early inc- you know indicators of how immunization works, and that's actually something real pivotal, not just to to vaccines, but also toward how creatures in general evolve. You know, you see that with bacteria, with humans, not everything oh, yeah. is a hundred percent. That's actually kind of how the resurgence of tuberculosis came back. You know, is that people didn't finish their penicillin dosages, they started feeling better, so they went, all right, I'm okay, and they quit taking it. And what they did was they enabled strands of tuberculosis to adapt against penicillin. Now you have this major resurgence of penicillin-resistant tuberculosis coming back. But what's interesting about penicillin-resistant tuberculosis is while it's on a slight increase of occurrences, it's actually not as fatal as the tuberculosis that was once treated with penicillin. Uh. Most people that have it actually lead normal lives until other illnesses impact their ability to fight disease, then all of a sudden it becomes an issue. Then you have, you know, isolation protocols, all these things that go into it. They actually still have hospital, you know, it's kind of weird to think about. There are still hospital rooms that are reverse air pressure chamberized to keep these people isolated away from everyone else. Uh, If they come into contact with healthcare workers, those workers end up having to go through multiple testings over a course of years to determine whether or not they contracted the uh, penicillin resistant tuberculosis, things like that. So, you know, it it does come back to and that same evolution that made us develop selective immunity against conditions can also work in favor of viruses, things like that. So it kind of plays both sides of that fence, you know? Well, yeah, the, um, um, an interesting, uh, part of immunology is that if you have a deadly virus, um, that kills people quickly, it tends not to spread far. It's those viruses which do less harm that actually succeed. Look at the common cold, for instance. Okay, mm-hmm. we get a runny nose for a little while, we cough, and that's it. But colds are a lot more frequent than, say, smallpox or, um, you know, or even to a, to a lesser extent, the flu. You know, uh, mm-hmm. primarily what helps the flu spread is that during flu season matches winter months, and so. You have people that think that there's some sort of correlation between cold and the flu or cold and the cold. Uh, Really, it has to do with human proximity. We tend to come closer together when it's cold. We tend to be indoors more. We isolate a lot more. We're a little bit less scattered throughout the world. And so it becomes a lot easier for viruses to spread. So that's why the flu doesn't go away in the summer months, per se. It's just a lot less common. Right. We're, we're not around each other as much. As soon as it gets warm, I'm, like, I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm going to go over there and do something. Bye. You know, so we have less <laughs> inclination to sit with each other and, and spread disease. And children are a good inoculating force to that. I have a child, and i got to tell you, they're the most disgusting creatures on earth. Um, <laughs> they really are. You know, you watch them, and you're putting everything in their mouth. They're licking this. They're licking that. And you're just like, can you, can you not? Could you just please understand please. that your mouth is for food? You know, um, especially young children, watching her grow up, you turn your back for a second and 
grocery store, you turn around, she's got her whole mouth around something on the shopping cart, and you're just like, what is wrong with you? That thing has been touched a thousand times, never cleaned, you're looking, no, stop. You know? So children are also a big component of that because their hygienic protocols are not really built in right away. And that's why it's really important, you know, that children are vaccinated at a young age because unfortunately they don't have the wherewithal to know exactly what safe common practices for health are. You know, I used to tell her, don't lick that, and she would be laughing and, and lick the shopping cart more. And then she'd uh, get sick and then she'd tell me, I shouldn't have been licking the shopping cart. Mm-hmm. You, you fucking think, you know? But it took that kind of Oh, careful with the language <laughs> around a poor child. <laughs> well, to clarify, I didn't say that to her, all right, Paul. Words to that effect. Words what, to that what effect. What kind of monster do you think I am? I mean I looked at her just like, well, you're definitely your mother's child. Now let's move on. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it takes humans a long time to learn safety protocols, and that's where vaccines really come into play at a young age is that we don't have that built-in uh, ability to be cautious and weary. You know, we have to touch the stove to know it's hot, even though someone tells us yep. it's hot, and, and figure it out from there. And that's where the anti-vax movement is, is kind of a strange thing. And I, I think one of the biggest tie-ins about what's going on with current anti-vax behavior is that we've reached a point in society where people that were impacted by the last known major outbreaks in the world have started to die off, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, For instance, you you and I share a pretty large age gap, even in your youth. Oh, yeah, I had the measles, I had the mumps. Um, It was before before MMR was uh, widely used. So I just came in, uh, you know, under the... You know, was born a few years too early. Right. But you still probably don't have a full recollection of what it was like to watch people die of polio. No. To watch what measles did. Of course not. So you now have this disconnect where the generations that were most frequently impacted by these conditions are starting to fade away. And now what you have is a whole group of two or three generations at this point that have never had to deal with mass disease scare on any known level. That's right. They've never had to watch children die. They've never had to watch people live in iron lungs or become paralyzed. And so I think that that disconnect really kind of sets a tone in the human mind. Oh, well, you know, how bad is it really? You know, then they go on Google and and they, you know, slap something in there. And, and, you know, the thing about the internet too, is it doesn't take much to look like a credible source. Anyone can buy a .org domain. Anyone can then start to put their opinions out there. Anyone can spew just pure horseshit and hope that it sticks to whoever reads it. Well, look at Wakefield. Look at Dr. Wakefield when he came up with that uh, supposed link between autism and um, the MMR vaccine. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who was a uh, a member of physicians out in, in England, if I remember yep. correctly, he was um, part of the General Medical Council, or that's who suspended him in the end. Uh, he went on to publish multiple studies claiming that there was evidence of sorts that um, – that there was a link between modern vaccine vaccines and autism. Uh, Andrew Wakefield goes on to get completely discredited, right? Totally. The guy is, is a fricking fraud. If a fraud could ever, you know, he's just a, he, he's, he's a grifter. He wanted his 15 seconds of fame. He was able to sell books. He was able to make money off of this. He was able to get his name recognized. And that was kind of the driving force behind the crap that he was putting out there. Turns out that the medical links he established were mostly false. The research was faulty, if ever conducted at all. 
he ends up being medically disbarred yes. by the GMC, the General Medical Council of the UK. Yep. He ends up going to prison for falsification, all this other stuff, and yet his legacy Can, it lives, lives on. on today. You know, he's, you know, people still believe this. Yes, he's still being quoted today, and um, just have no idea how people can believe this. There's also, I think, uh, perhaps a religious component um, that plays into this. The um, speaking of, um, for instance, Jehovah's Witnesses who disallow blood transfusions. Um, you know, like just just the thought that goes, or lack of thought that goes into this is just stunning. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, to, to that notion, like with Jehovah's Witnesses, my understanding, I'm not one, you know, so I, I don't want to speak too far out of turn here against yeah. somebody else's ideology, but to them, the notion of a blood transfusion in, introduces an impurity to the body that I guess God or, or something cannot accept that as, as a pure approach to existence. Uh, it's worth noting, though, that most Jehovah's Witnesses do vaccinate their children. Yes. Um, I, I think the predominant religion that we see today that's kind of anti any medical treatment is kind of on Scientology. And uh, believe me, we can dedicate a whole fucking series to Scientology. <laughs> oh, I don't no, know if please. we can. <laughs> I don't know if we can afford the lawyers to defend it when they come knocking, as they tend to do whenever anyone insults their uh, crazy space god theory with hydrogen bombs and you know we're yeah, just gonna stop that, there. please stop please uh, stop it Make yeah it. yeah i'm probably we're already getting sued it's coming okay. right now um <laughs> so you know religion might play a small part to it but by and large i've noticed that while religion might be slow to adapt it tends to, to not encourage yeah. things that are, are detrimental. Because here's the thing, right? What, what is the one thing that every organized religion is dependent upon is membership, right? Yep. Well, if your constituency of members are dropping dead, you're really not going to benefit a lot from it. And in fact, like organizations like the Catholic Church played a big role yes, very in much so. um, like tuberculosis treatment. A lot of people don't really know what tuberculosis was like, but it, before penicillin was invented... There was no known cure to this. So so one of the common things done here in the continental United States, and I think also in Canada, where there were these big facilities called sanatoriums. Yes. Not, not sanitariums, very different than a mental hospital. Yes. Um, a sanatorium was a place where people infected with tuberculosis would go effectively to live out their life and die, right? So they would go to these facilities where it was believed that the best treatment for tuberculosis. This is my favorite part, right? Okay. The best treatment to tuberculosis is plenty of sunlight and fresh air. Yes. So sanitariums tend to have, uh, or sanatoriums tend to have these big atriums. Yeah. Uh, rooms tend to have these outdoor entryways where patients can be wheeled out on their beds to look out at the sun and, and the sky. Um, and a lot of people died. There's one particular facility here in the U.S. that I've always been fascinated with. It's called Waverly Hills. Oh, Sanitar- think I've heard of sanatorium. that. Yeah, and uh, it was a huge facility. Uh, it is located in Kentucky, okay. I believe. It's, I, I want to say, Jefferson County, somewhere along there. It was open in 1910, right? And it would house at any given time, I'm trying to remember, 40 to 50 patients um, in an ongoing cycle, right? Well, they had such a hard time with keeping people alive that this facility was built with a massive what's called a tunnel chute and this would be where they would take the bodies to this tunnel where no one else could see them and slide them down 
toward the crematorium and, and the morgue. Wow. And, and it was happening in such regularity, you know, that they're having to push these people through there. And so, you know, a lot of people don't know, like, the history of what this was like. And, and it, it was originally built to accommodate 40 patients. I think it eventually reached, you know, accommodating 100, which keep in mind, this is 1910. Yep. So populations are a lot smaller than, I think, you know, after everything going on in the world, there's, what, maybe 20,000 humans left uh, <laughs> There's something to that effect. Uh, no, definitely way more than that. But, you know, for a rural area like that, you know, it was – that was a, a high patient count. And um, it did not have a good survivorship. No. You know, there was not a good rate of recovery. Then all of a sudden this miracle drug tubercul- for tuberculosis comes out, penicillin, penicillin, hits the market, and the whole game changes. Turns out fresh air doesn't kill bacteria. Nope. <laughs> but, you know, turn, turns out antibacterials do. And that was kind of – the first major push for inoculation in the continental United States, North America area. You know, there were other things going on in the world dating all the way back to the 1700s. Um, You know, in early points of American history, 1879, there was the first kind of anti-vaccination movement going on in the United States. Um, They waged court battles to repeal mandatory laws. Um, it, it was popular in California, Illinois, Wisconsin. Those, these were places where that stuff happened, but it wasn't to the same scale that we're seeing today. But that largely plays a role in why there's no mandatory laws. You know, and that's an interesting thing about Americans is we tend to lean on our Constitution a lot whenever <laughs> something kind of pisses us off, you know, and, and we push back and we go, that's against my rights. And I'm not going to do that just because this is America. I'm free, you know. And that logic might work when you're not hurting other people. It becomes, you know... That's the, that's the thing that um, I, I think find most hurtful about the anti-vax movement is that um, it looks really, really selfish. Um, mm-hmm. the, that whole anti-vax movement, I think, is uh, for the most part selfish. Now, there are reasons why one should not get inoculated. Um, there are certain genetic um, traits where you can die from getting an injection, um, the M- specifically the MMR injection. Um, also, um, there's about a 95% success rate. So if you're inoculated, there's a 95% chance that you will actually become immune. But, you know, that means that one out of 20 people at least, um, don't, it doesn't catch for them. Also, there's some current research, it's been going on for a while, that the long-term effectiveness of the vaccines, especially for measles, is in doubt, where after 10 to 15 years, the immunity level you have can drop to almost nothing. Um, so the, about, the effectiveness of the MMR Vaccine, especially for measles, is about ninety-five percent. That means that about one out of in, about one out of twenty people are not inoculated, even though they've received the uh, vaccine. And some new research—it's ongoing right now—relates um, to the long-term effectiveness of measles vaccination. Uh, after about ten or fifteen years, there's a, a you know a fair chunk of people who completely lose their immunity. Um, there was also, um, I guess back in 2013, 2014, Merck was found to be, um, they're a large pharmaceutical company, 
uh, Merck was found to be um, doctoring their books when it came to the MMR vaccine, where they were not giving the correct um, uh, effectiveness uh, numbers on the batches of vaccines that were coming out. They were falsifying their test data. Um, they were out and out lying, and uh, they were slapped real, real hard. And this was research that was uh, done um, by some doctors in New Jersey, CDC, and a couple of scientists that actually worked for, for Merck uh, brought this out to the public. And boy, you know, so you get press like that, and people get turned off. You know, big pharma's trying to kill us and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I mean? But, okay, so we just need to identify the fact that corporations, especially, you know, within the United States, have a tendency to behave in manners that are not conductive with the best interests of the general population in most cases, you know. But the true testament to the effectiveness of vaccines could just be seen by going to any cemetery and counting the graves of children from the 1800s to the 1960s and then from the 1960s onward. And so yeah. regardless of what a bad corporation does, and I'm, I will never be the first person to defend a corporation for anything in this world, you know, regardless of what they, what they might sometimes do, uh, you know, a lot of vaccines were created actually by, by very good people. The, the patents changed hands at some point or were absolved by someone, but by and large, you know, the uh, the history tends to show a lot of positive outreach. The polio vaccine is a great example of that. Do you, by chance, know anything about the guy who created that? No. So, you know, polio was created by a doctor. I'm trying to remember what his name was right now. I looked this up, you know, a couple days ago, and my mind's drawn a blank. I, I want to say, um, gosh, why can't I, I think about who he is? Um, but he went on to do... Um, you know, the, the vaccine with no patents, no fees. He released it to the public pretty much free of charge. His name was uh, Jonas, Salk. Jonas Salk. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> yeah, so he, he goes on to create the oral polio vaccine, dedicates pretty much his whole life to it, and it's widely believed he walks off the table on billions of dollars of revenue, right? Yeah. And he just pushes this vaccine out to the public and allows them to have access to it free of charge because he felt that it was what the people need. Now his, his whole backstory, there's some, you know, controversy with him. He's, you know, he's a product of his time. Like I think we tend to look back at history and use a lot of modern morals against people that existed at a time when those morals didn't exist. And that tends to be a a predominant part of why some people have negative inclinations about him. But, you know, by and large, he took a step in human history to take on a major disease and give the world something that he had no other obligation to do. You know what I mean? The um, would highly recommend if, if if someone has questions about the effectiveness of vaccination, there's the CDC Center for Disease Control, a U.S. government organization. Um, there's also something called the National Vaccine Information Center. So it's uh, that's nvic.org, um, and they take in um, information um, about vaccination. So you can, you can ask for, um, um, you can get, uh, or sorry, you can report um, uh, a bad reaction to a vaccine. Um, You can report a a vaccine failure and uh, something called vaccine harassment. 
Um, and this vaccine harassment is, is pretty bad because um, you can be fired from certain organizations, uh, especially in the medical field, if you don't get your flu shot, and that's illegal. Um, none, uh, vaccination is, is effectively non-mandatory um, in most places, and um, the United States has very um, strong laws about uh, vaccine harassment. Anyways, uh, cdc.gov and uh, nvic.org, all the information you ever needed to know is sitting right there, and they're fascinating sites. Although I I do tend to side with people that are pro-vaccination. Oh, yes. Um, I I think that there should be no negative connotation with trying to force someone to be inoculated if they're going to be in, you know, especially in circumstances where they're going to be coming into contact with at-risk populations. Um, You know, another aspect to that, too, is, you know, you might have the freedom to choose not to be inoculated, but that doesn't mean that society also owes you the freedom to use publicly accessible institutions. That's why I'm okay with this idea in New York floating of banning non-vaccinated children and adults from having access to the transit system. The MTA is literally floating this idea of it, uh, banning them from public education, things like that, because your views might be yours and no one can force you to hold a different one, but society should not have to play into a risk with you. You know, it, it it's a touchy subject and, and I can see where it's coming from, you know, in terms of, well, this is my right. Okay. That is your right. But then if you're going to choose to stay in, you know, nine BC, then have fun with it. You know, the rest of society is going to move on. And it's very unfortunate, you know, society kind of operates like a train where up at, at the engine room, you have all the smart people just trying to keep this thing moving. And then, you know, at the back of it, you have all the kooks, nuts, and, and lunatics that weigh the most just dragging this puppy down. And it can't get where it wants, you know, somewhere on that train, someone's standing there going, God, if I just pulled the pin and let this car fall behind, we could go so much faster and get so much done. You know, but unfortunately, we're stuck moving at the pace of our slowest members in society. And that might be kind of a brutalist, survivalist look at that. But I do think, you know, if you're going to live in the past, if you're going to get stuck in stupid mindsets, why should society have to sit behind and cater to you just because that's your belief? Like, especially here in America, we have this notion that every fucking opinion is as good as fact. Yep. And that is just not the case. Like, just, you know, I've heard, it's the old saying, opinions are like assholes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and that's very true. Everyone has an asshole. Oh, well, we, um, <laughs> we have a, a national call-in show. Um, called Cross Country Checkup up here in Canada. And uh, several months ago, um, it was about vaccines. And, um, you know, it, sort of tuned into it, expecting to hear a bunch of, you know, whacked out people um, going on about um, vaccinations. It turned out that um, several people uh, phoned in who were anti-vaxxers, but they had really good reason for it. There was um, one mother phoned in where one of her child, one of her child, one of her children died um, at the, when uh, he received the second uh, MMR um, booster shot. Okay, but from what? Allergic reaction? Yeah, it was an allergic reaction to the, um, uh, to the vaccine. And, you know, then she lost another child exactly the same way. 
So um, that's currently under study. So she's had since then two other, I think it was two or three other children, and, and they're not getting the MMR. Um, and in her specific case, it makes perfect sense. Okay, and that's fair. You know, like, we could use a similar debate is that seatbelts don't have a 100% success rate. Correct. They they just don't. But they do severely increase your odds that if you're going to hit a tree, you're not going to fly through your windshield. Yeah. They they do secure you from being thrown around. It also defends other people in the vehicle. Your body can become a projectile when it's moving at 70 miles an hour and then suddenly changes direction rapidly against everyone else in that car with you. Yeah. But just because they don't have a 100% effective rate does not make them useless. And that seems to be the common thread that you see with this. Is that a valid reason to possibly not vaccinate your kids that they have an allergic reaction? Yeah. Okay. Fair game. But that that means that that child's going to be a lot more dependent on herd menta- or herd immunity. Herd. So herd mentality we'll get into <laughs> later in time. Uh, there, there's a lot of that that ties into this story too. But so herd immunity means that for those that cannot be inoculated, which typically refers to infants or, or people that are not of age yet. Correct. They're dependent upon everyone else around them to already have the inoculation and be a safe non-carrier of the disease at hand. And that's where that matters. Is it safe to say that someone who has a history of allergy against it or negative reaction should not receive it? I don't know. Maybe they find a safer method. Maybe that this person can never be inoculated, but they need everyone else around them who is capable of inoculation to be in order to reduce the spread of the disease. And that's the problem is you have too many people that just, you know, because Jenny McCartney told them so. And that's another thing that I don't get. You know, I've never been one for celebrity oogling, (laughs) but the last people I want telling me how to fucking live my life are people that don't seem to have any clue what they're doing with theirs. And just because they have a lot of money, they've somehow become this royalty in our society. And we, we assume that they're intelligent. You know what I mean? I've seen some interviews with people like Tom Cruise. It it would take a real stretch for me to call that person intelligent. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm not even sure what he was doing to Oprah in that one incident when he's standing on the couch. Um, You know, but you have this whole kind of societal reverence for celebrities who are now getting into these things and talking about it where they shouldn't. And that's also, you know, not even with just vaccines, Paul, like to a lesser extent. Now you have all these fucking athletes that are out there promoting flat earth theory. Oh my gosh. You know, it's becoming a big issue in, uh, in, in sports, actually, where these major players are coming out going, oh, I believe in flat earth theory. And that just lends credence to conspiracy theorists that are kind of batshit to begin with. And that kind of ties into a lot of anti-vaxxer belief anyways. A lot of it is just batshit conspiracy theories, loosely based on fact, tied together through networks and of non-factual things. And, and the hard part about dealing with people that believe in conspiracies is that they don't follow the same logical disbursement of thoughts That's right. that people do when they're trying to discover something. When you're trying to truly learn something, when you're walking through the door saying, I don't know, your first step is to begin to gather facts that help you paint a picture. Yep. When you come into something from a conspiracy theory side, you have already said, this is what I know to be fact. This is a fact as far as I'm concerned. Then that person does everything they can to extrapolate data, connections, and research that properly and neatly matches that ideology. So they nitpick it apart and only put the pieces together that match their perfect 
assembly of, of their theory. You know what I'm saying? And hence the generation of echo chambers. Well, and that's social media. It just makes it too damn easy. You know what yep. I mean? Because everything is curated too. Like that's, and we'll have to do a whole episode on AI, but now oh, that artificial dear. intelligence is, is technically in control of feeding us content, you know, and yep. it's still in a, in a, in a minor stage. It's not super advanced, but what, Companies like Facebook and Google have really started to push are networks that figure out what you like, and in order to keep you as engaged as long as possible, it feeds you as much information based on those interests as possible, Yes, which makes it real hard for you to diversify your thought process. So if you're an anti-vaxxer and you're on social media, you know Facebook is going to recommend groups to you. It's going to push a news feed to you that's going to cater toward your belief system. It's indiscriminate of fact and only based on revenue generation. Well, so, yeah. Um I'm uh, looking to upgrade my camera equipment, so um, visited several uh, camera stores, and you know was looking, um, you know, uh, also went to DP review and so on, and then ads for camera equipment, Canon, Nikon, Sony started showing up when I visited um, CNN, you know, or 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 BBC, and um, you know so. You know, the, this this whole AdSense thing is uh, needs needs a lot of tweaking, okay? Because if you know organizations um, organizations like um, BBC and uh, CNN start pushing ads, you know, the same ads at me, you know, it's I don't think we need artificial intelligence. Actually, I think we need artificial common sense. And uh, no one's no one's come up with that. Um, if we do an AI episode, I've got a, a great Isaac Asimov story for you. But anyways, you know, go go to good organizations, whether they're government run, company run, or or um, nonprofit. Um, you know, I've got a page up right here from CDC on um, the measles vaccine which was um, a, a program was started in the U.S. in 1963 to start immunizing everybody with MMR. Prior to that, there were three to four million cases a year in the United States. Um, you know, four to five hundred people died per year. 50,000 were hospitalized. Let's see, um, another thousand people a year developed encephalitis as a consequence of measles. And that has gone down to nearly zero now. And, and that's a good, you know, change in number there. We're not talking that 500 people died, then it got reduced to 300. The, you know, and 500 might not sound like a lot until it's your child. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or someone that you care about. And that does matter. And, and even beyond that, there are life-altering consequences to being sick with these conditions. They do not just go away and, and they're fine. Mm -hmm. You know, pol polio is a great example of that. People that contracted polio and lived with it suffered all number of different conditions. Oh, yeah. Uh, many had to live in iron lungs, you know, and, and it's honestly, seriously an industry I'm considering investing some money in. If I'm <laughs> going to go back to this, I'm going to open up some baby coffin shops and some, you know, some iron lung factories. Oh, wow. it, it might sound crude, but, you know, if we're going to go back to this, might as well capitalize on it. Because if we're going to deny the advancements that we've made, then we're opening a door back to those illnesses. And I mean, even... And, and, you know, just to lead into it, I don't believe for a second 
that vaccines lead to autism. You know, it's a correlation versus causation thing. Um, oh, well, um, you know, <clears throat> Wakefield's protocol was so faulty. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised the Lancet ever published um, his, uh, um, that controversial uh, study. I mean, it's been retracted, thank God. Well, but, but to that notion, like bad studies get through all the time. Yes. Research is very faulty, and that's on the science community to do better jobs of peer reviewing and actually researching stuff because his studies are not the only bad ones to get through, and it is actually a routine problem and the controls on who's conducting studies, who's releasing them, things like that. We find out all kinds of crazy shit about that as time goes on. We've learned that, you know, for instance, the beverage industry has pushed a lot of studies on sugar to reduce the effects of what sugar does to people in those studies. Mm -hmm. And yet you have a conflict of interest in the entity that's running that study and therefore dissecting and releasing that data. So the science community has to do a much better job. It makes sense that he, uh, was able to get that through when you really look at the abstract of controls on that stuff, you know, it, it totally makes sense. And, you know, really the only link between autism increasing and vaccines is that in the same time that vaccines have become commonplace in our society, our ability to detect and diagnose autism has also drastically in- shifted. Improved. Oh yeah. A lot. Yep. A lot of times it would be that the child was in later childhood development, or even into adulthood before it was discovered that there was an issue. It used to be called a spectrum. That kind of term is kind of faded out, and it's believed that there are many different various degrees to it, and it can be diagnosed in in children that are much younger than, I think, three now. So, you know, yeah, vaccines took off, and autism diagnosis skyrocketed, but they they were not connected. There was no causation between those. But, let's you know, again, like back to what I was saying, if you want to just humor for a second that somehow... A vaccine causes autism. Okay, well, I would much rather my child be autistic than living in an iron lung. Or, you know, it's or a dead. matter of perspective. Or dead. You know what I mean? Like, looking at her grave. Well, you know, at least she wasn't autistic when she died. Um, you know, the notion of that is just in and of itself completely ignorant and and based in something that I can't wrap my mind around. It, it's kind of like because car seats aren't 100% effective, these people are deciding to effectively remove the, a car seat. You know what I mean? It, the, the logic is almost exactly the same. Yes. In, in the way I see it at any rate. And that's why, you know, there has to be a deeper thought to it. But it, it kind of just ties back to conspiracy theories and this anti-government trust. And, you know, what's funny is like, a lot of times the conservative side of debates get a lot of heat for that, which is rightfully so, because a lot of times that section is typically the one that's always got some crazy conspiracy theory going on. But the anti-vax movement is actually far more predominantly a liberal issue. And what you have is the same group of people. Yeah, it it tends to predominantly be a a more wealthy uh, race ties into it. It tends to be more more white, wealthy households in affluent places like California, New York, where their viewpoints tend to to veer more toward liberal viewpoints and they tend to have a more pro-science approach. They tend to be less religious. They tend, you know, and for some reason, they're leading the charge in this faulty thought process, this anti-science hatred that's just kind of bled into that mindset. And it's really remarkable to think about, you know, to, to see that and go, wow, you know, this isn't what we normally stereotype, I guess you could say, as the group of people that would have that thought. And yet they're the ones leading it. And and another thing too is like a part of it is what, what do you call it? The Dunning 
Kruger effect. Dunning Kruger effect. Yes. Yeah. So whereby somebody, the more that they research something, the more that they falsely begin to assume that they're an expert on it. And through the process of that, they falsely assume that they are well-educated and most people simply are not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm not an expert really on anything and I'm, I'm fine with that. I enjoy my life that way. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't formulate opinions, but I definitely wouldn't go as far as to say that I'm an expert on anything. You know, I just tend to read as much as I can from both sides and formulate. I never, Sit on absolution. Well, yeah, the um, this is also, believe it or not, rampant in in, in science, where you have um, uh, physicists, for instance, who are experts in their field. They start talking about biology, which they know next to nothing about, um, and uh, so it, it it it's 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 a need for attention. You know, and yeah, and that's yeah. you know that has to be recognized in 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 humans, and a lot of people don't. Well, you know, we have a lot of self vested interest in listening to ourselves talk. I mean, come on, that's why we're doing this, isn't it? That's <laughs> right. I was, was, was about to point that out, John. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the difference is, I'm never going to sit here and say that I know everything about everything. You know, and and these choices come with weird consequences. We were talking a little bit before we got started about uh, this Oregon boy who, oh yeah, had. Uh, no vaccine against tetanus. And so he contracts it playing in his home area, um, ends up going to the hospital, locked jawed, muscle, wow. muscles tightened up. That's a he painful spends, one. Yeah. Uh, for, for the record, tetanus is probably one of the more painful ways to die. One of the more painful, preventable ways to die too. You know, it comes with it, you know, a whole slew of symptoms. It's not a quick death. Boy, does it take its time. And, uh, you know, so he spends a long time here in the hospital, you know, he, he gets infected playing on, on the family's farm. He ends up uh, getting sick six days later. He's crying, you know, muscle involuntary spasms. Uh, he gets lockjaw. Um, he starts having trouble breathing. So they take him into the hospital. He requires medical ventilation. He requires breathing tubes, medications. Uh, he, he goes into pediatric intensive care, and they end up giving him the DTAP treatment. Okay. While he's there, which tends to slow, you know, slows the virus, the spread of the, I'm sorry, the virus, it's a bacteria, S- slows that down, you know, puts earplugs in him because any stimulation is just worsening the convulsions and everything. The total bill for his treatment ends up at a million dollars. Yikes. Just about under it, which, you know, again, like I said earlier, like that raises a whole lot of fucking questions about the American healthcare system. Like, holy crap, you know, um, that's so foreign for uh, for people up here, you know, like um, had to go to the hospital the other day and um, and just walked in, you know, flipped right. flip my health card and like I'll never see any paperwork for this, you know, that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if this six year old kid is going to be like the next Walter White, you know, is he going to have to start selling meth by the time he's ten to pay back <laughs> this medical bill? Like, where do you even fucking go after that point? You know, you've already spent, you know, first of all, a lot of medical packages in the United States have healthcare caps and yep. they, they can be lifetime. So if you've already spent a million dollars and you're six years old, uh, there could be a lot of complications for this child later down the line yep. when other things come up. But again, that's a, a whole other, you know, we could do a whole other episode on how broken the American healthcare system is. And I have a lot to say about it, but, um, <laughs> 
Well, but you, you know, with our uh, single payer system up here, um, it's by no means perfect. But we spend per capita about half what the U.S. does on on medicine, and we have better outcomes than 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 the U.S. does. Um, sure, there's still lots of problems to figure out and fix with our system, but. You well, know. it's human managed. Wherever you put a human being to control something, you're going to have problems. You know that that's just the way it is, and, and there's nothing you could do about that. You know, we're humans; we're erroneous by by default, and it, it kind of you know when you think about it, that's that ties in real good to this whole conversation because vaccines might not be 100 percent effective. Why use them? Oh, because they're, socialized they're, medical care might not be 100 percent effective. Why have it? Why not just spend your whole life savings? You know. Um, you know, and and there's a lot of parallels in that thought process too. Uh, but anyway, like back to that story because we kind of veered off into a whole other debate there. Upon him actually recovering, right? Mm-hmm. The hospital recommends that he needs further treatments and additional vaccines against tetanus to help him once he's gone. The family just watching him almost die, having to go through this massive ordeal that runs up almost a million dollars in expenses, goes. No, no, we're okay. He was probably also missing uh, other vaccines as well. Yes, um, there there was a, a whole slew of, of treatments that, that he had never received. He was uh, never inoculated against most other um, common, you know, vaccine types in the country. I guess what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah. And uh, they, they continued to opt out of it. You know, even after watching their child almost die and go through this, this major incident and he's going now nah, now nah, you know we'll, we'll just we'll we'll try again oh my god you know and it's worth noting that things like tetanus you know it, it exists um in soil you know it's it's yeah. remarkably common you can contract it anywhere it doesn't just come from rusty nails you know it's actually a very very common occurrence and that's why it's a recommended vaccine for kids because kids like to play and dig and then they get scratched and you know the contaminated dirt gets under their skin and there you go. Um, but they, they still opted out of it. You know, that was the most remarkable part. They just straight up opted out of it. Wow. That's so, that's so sad. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like, cause I always thought, you know, all right, maybe what some of these people need is a culture shock. When they get <laughs> somebody in their family coming down with this illness or something awful happening, does their thought process change? And, uh, at least for these people, the answer was, uh, no read um a few weeks ago about this um this boy who um i forget who he was suing um to prevent him from getting the uh, the mmr vaccine he didn't want it okay or his family didn't want him to have it and um while the uh lawsuit was waning through the courts he got measles <laughs> <laughs> There's some irony. Need, I mean, we shouldn't laugh at say, it. No, I know, I know, I know, but no, I, I disagree with you. I think we should laugh our asses off. <laughs> <laughs> the um, is question for you, John. Is this trend temporary? Is is um, is is are these just Trumpian times, or um, is this going to continue? Um. You know, on that notion, what I've noticed, and it doesn't just isolate to this incident, is that society goes through these waves of behavior like this. Uh, The more research I did on this, you you see, like, you you see multiple – 
periods of time, and, and they tend to be 50 to 100 years apart where where the shift in this goes back and forth and people kind of teeter. I would want to say that with the advent of technology that we're at a, a point where this is eventually going to become less common, where it will eventually go away. Well, would like- I don't know if that's possible, though. You know, I don't think we use technology in a way that helps us. I don't. Um, would somewhat disagree with that, but... Um, sorry, lost the thread. <laughs> I had. Plus, a- I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, that's just truly oh. my belief. You know, it's it's my belief. I talked about that in my solo episode about mass extinctions and mm-hmm. climate changes. That we use technology in ways that make us feel good. And the truth is that education and learning, especially if you're learning for the right reasons, is not a comfortable environment. It is not something that makes you feel good because you're going to come across things that challenge everything you've ever been taught. They're going to challenge everything you've ever felt. They're mm-hmm. going to make you step outside your your comfort zone and wonder about the things around you. And that's a, a very difficult proposition to step into for a lot of people. And I think that, you know, when you're looking at that, when, when you analyze that for what it is, not, I, I don't think it'll get better. I think echo chambering is going to get worse because there is no accountability for organizations like Facebook and Google. There, there are actual external forces that are trying to manipulate this. We, we know for a fact, for instance, that during the 2016 election, which yes. is not, not necessarily to get political, but during the 2016 election, Russia themselves got highly involved in the anti-vax debate. And they did this, you know, specifically to help drive further wedges between issue holders in the United States. And so I think as long as external influencers like that are at play, and you also have this echo chamber system that's built up around artificial intelligence and neural nets. No, no, I don't think it gets better. I think it gets worse long before it gets better. I think that we'll go through a period of time where where we're going to see resurgence in mass disease and we're going to see a lot of strange behaviors coming back into the limelight before things actually improve in any measurable way. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take your side on this one. Um, have you ever heard of a book called Silent Spring? No. Okay, it was um, put out in 1962 by Rachel Carson, and um, it was the first um, loud bullhorn for uh, careful use of pesticides, DDT specifically. And what DDT was doing was... um, Mostly causing cancer. (laughs) Well, no, no, specifically in birds um, and apex predators like falcons. Um, the peregrine falcon um, was going to go extinct because they they would lay eggs and they would crack. Um, now that was in 1962, and you know, Mrs. Carson was specifically worried about these these uh, apex bird predators. Well, here we are in 2019, and we are now looking at the possible eradication of major cultures on this planet because of our own use of fossil fuels. Okay? Mm-hmm. And and this has been known for over a hundred years um, that this was coming. And still today, um, at the federal government level anyways, almost nothing's being done about it. Okay? Well, you know, follow the money. I mean, we got to be honest, like follow the money on it. You mm-hmm. know, you look at politicians and you can see where their revenue comes from. We've talked about that before. Yep. ExxonMobil being a huge proponent against, uh, you know, 
green energy yep. more than anything and, and being a huge advocate against research and they were actually the promoter of you know climate denial. I don't think you have the same forces driving behind anti-vaxxers. You know, you got a lot of celebrities who I think their intentions might not be bad, but they're using their fame to come off as experts. They're falling into that, you know, mindset of the Dunning-Kruger effect where they think they're experts just because people are listening to them, they're talking, and that's just not how it works. You know, you're not an expert just because you have a voice. You know, if you want to have a viewpoint, that's fine. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. Don't go out there and spread false information. You know, and... You know, I I don't know... What's up? Go to the CDC, go to NVIC, do your research, start there, um, and um, get your kids vaccinated, man. It's over 99% effective. The side effects are minimal, um, if any. Um, Keep your eyes open, do your research, but go get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the best thing you do. I mean, we, I don't know, this is a subject we could probably go on about all day. You know, yeah. that we shouldn't, but, uh, <laughs> you know, let, let's, let's round back to it at a later time. Let's expand on it a little bit. I think, you know, we've got a good footing on it and we can explore it from another standpoint. Um, you know, and, and just kind of encourage people, do your homework. Don't just listen to what people tell you. Pick up a book and do your homework. Well, I, I think if there's one thing this podcast is pushing hard is open your eyes. You know, step outside, yeah. step outside of your comfort zone. Um, Think a little bit. Take some shrooms. Whatever works. Just get there. You know? <laughs> and on that note, I've been John. I've been Paul. And thanks for joining us this week on Beyond Our World as we explored anti-vaxxers. See you next week. Bye-bye. I'm John, one of the hosts of the Beyond Our World podcast. Thanks for joining Paul and I this week as we explored anti-vaxxers. Next week, we're going to be dipping our toes into conspiracy theories, the cultures and people around them, and what we think they're based on. As always, if you're enjoying our show, please feel free to check out our Patreon account at patreon.com slash beyondourworld. Every contribution helps us continue to make new episodes and deliver great content every week. Until next time, have a great day.